Good morning, North Holland. It's good to be here. It feels a bit like coming home. And as Aaron mentioned, seems a little providential that Chuck got me scheduled this Sunday with the ordination happening this afternoon to be in a place that so shaped me as a pastor that showed me God's love and faithfulness. So it's good to be home, and it is good to go to God's Word with you. As we turn today to God's Word, we're going to turn to the book of Hosea, which is tucked near the back of the Old Testament, one of the minor prophets, and certainly one of the more striking books in Scripture in some ways. As God comes to Hosea and instructs him to marry a loose woman, effectively marry someone you know is going to cheat on you, who will be consistently unfaithful, but love and be faithful anyways as a dramatic sign act of God's love and faithfulness to Israel. As Stephen noted for us last week, Scripture uses a number of analogies to talk about God's relationship with us, God's people. A child and a parent, and one of the more common, and we see both of these here, of a spouse. God and Israel, Christ and the church. So as we turn to Hosea 11, and hear as if from God's perspective, his reaction to Israel's unfaithfulness, in the midst of his faithfulness. Listen well, and as we prepare to hear that, let us pray. God of love and covenant faithfulness, as we come to your word today, open our minds and settle our hearts, that in listening we might hear, not what we want to hear, but what you want us to hear. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and redeemer. Hear now the word of the Lord from Hosea chapter 11, 1 through 11. When Israel was a child, I loved him, and out of Egypt I called my son. The more I called them, the more they went from me. They kept sacrificing to Baals and offering incense to idols. Yet it was I who taught Ephraim to walk. I took them up in my arms, but they did not know that I healed them. I led them with cords of human kindness, with bands of love. I was to them like those who lift infants to their cheeks. I bent down and fed them. They shall return to the land of Egypt, and Assyria shall be their king, because they have refused to return to me. The sword rages in their city, it consumes their oracle priests, it devours because of their schemes. My people are bent on turning away from me. To the Most High they call, but he does not raise them up at all. How can I give you up, O Ephraim? How can I hand you over, O Israel? How can I make you like Adma? How can I treat you like Zebion? My heart recoils within me. My compassion grows warm and tender. I will not execute my fierce anger. I will not again destroy Ephraim, for I am God and no mortal, the Holy One in your midst. And I will not come in wrath. They shall go after the Lord who roars like a lion. When he roars, his children shall come trembling from the west. They shall come trembling like birds from Egypt, like doves from the land of Assyria. And I will return them to their homes, says the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Our passage starts with a history lesson. 
as it expresses and reminds Israel of the core identifying event of their life. The moment where Israel became God's people as God out of no merit of Israel's rescues and calls his people out of Egypt as he is faithful to the covenant made with Abraham. He pulls them through the waters of the Red Sea, through their baptism as the people of God in his love and grace. And yet, if you recall in Exodus, God is still giving the commandments, forming the covenant with Moses, and already they are sacrificing to idols. Already making false images, and then again and again throughout the Old Testament, God's people continue to worship false gods, continue to turn to idols, chase after Baal and other deities of neighboring or conquering nations, forgetting, abandoning God, particularly, almost exclusively, when things are going well, and then crying out to God when they need something. But nevertheless, in our passage, God reminds them that he raised them up from the time they were children, taught them how to walk, led them almost as if by leading a dog by a leash with love, lifted and cared for Israel. Like a parent holding the hand of a child as you cross the street, picking a child up and holding them, comforting them, helping them know they are safe. Like a parent making sure a child is fed, is sustained, is loved, God led Israel into the promised land sustained them, protected them, raised up leaders, and then they picked some pretty bad ones, sent prophet after prophet to call them back, but like a rebellious teenager, Israel turned away again and again, worshiping false gods, inviting violence into their midst, and then would cry out to God, returning like a prodigal son, but unlike in the parable, after the banquet, got up and did it again and again and again. Because in the midst of God's faithfulness, in the midst of God's love, in the response to God's grace, God's people continued to turn away, to wander from God, and then cry out to God and wander again. And this is certainly not unique to Israel within the story of God's people. Just as God called Israel out of Egypt through the waters of the Red Sea into covenant relationship, into the covenant community of God, so too are we called out of Egypt, so to speak, purely by grace into God's covenant faithfulness through the waters of baptism. As Paul notes in Colossians, and as Stephen talked about last week, Israel had the physical covenant sign of circumcision to mark God's people as his own. And as we enter into that identity, the core of who we are in the waters of baptism, the deep covenant grace and faithfulness of God is ours. Not because we've earned it, or decided it's ours, or anything we could ever do. But because God decided to love us. Because God called us. Because God made us his own. And in that covenant faithfulness, that love, God will not let us go. But yet, we time and time and time and time and time again turn away from God. In Hosea's passage, we hear how God's people chased after other gods, worshiping Baal, worshiping the other gods, idols in the face of God's covenant love. God's people, we, constantly direct our loves, our passions to other things. Back in the time of Hosea, it was arguably a little easier to see when that happened. 
to know you're worshiping another god. It's a little easier when your prayers are to Baal instead of the Lord, when you're offering sacrifices to random god of the year instead of the Lord. It's obvious the worship is to a false god and that they are breaking the commandments, breaking the covenant. Today, it seems it can be far more subtle. Indeed, sometimes we'll baptize, so to speak, our idols so that we pretend an idol is actually somehow related to our faith in God, that pouring our energy into that is being faithful. But more often than not, it sadly seems that isn't true. And of course, this doesn't mean we can't do other things, love other things, have our joys and our passions, our loves, that we can't care about other things, but that they must be appropriately balanced, appropriately measured, appropriately placed in our lives. Because no matter what it might be, money, success, an extreme valuing of work, of another person, the blind following of a politician or political party, anything of that sort, maybe a good thing, being caring, helping others out, but done for the wrong reasons, for pride or attention rather than love of God and neighbor. Maybe it's popularity, success in school, sports, whatever it may be, whatever other loves we might have can be so misdirected that they become idols, that they become false gods, and they stir up God's anger, incite God's rage, where we persist in unfaithfulness, in the midst, in spite of God's faithfulness. But thanks be to God that our lack of faithfulness does not remove God's faithfulness to us that our inability to love God fully does not, cannot, will not separate us from the love of God we have in Christ Jesus. Rather, as our author narrates using some rather human imagery to describe God, we enter into God's internal dialogue. How can I give you up, O Ephraim? How can I hand you over, O Israel? How can I make you like Adam? How can I treat you like Zebium? My heart recoils within me. My compassion grows warm and tender. I will not execute my fierce anger. I will not again destroy Ephraim, for I am God and no mortal, the Holy One in your midst, and I will not come in wrath. And while we know that God doesn't change his mind or is subject to the whims as humanity is, since God is God and no mortal, we can see how deep God's love is for us his people in this passage. You can picture a parent, head and hands, tears streaming down their face. How can I give you up? How can I hand you over? But then we see, God will not execute his anger. God will not come in wrath. Even though God is a God of justice, he is also a God of love, a God of covenant faithfulness, a God of grace, a God who time and time again, when God's people turn away from him, he calls them back. As our passage closes, they shall go after the Lord who roars like a lion. When he roars, his children shall come trembling from the west. They shall come trembling like birds from Egypt, like doves from the land of Assyria. And I will return them to their homes, says the Lord. God calls his people back, roaring like a lion. Imagery that makes me think of the exchange in C.S. Lewis's The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, where Mr. Beaver and Susan are talking, describing Aslan, who, if you're unfamiliar with the book, one, you should read it, 
but two, Aslan is the story's Christ figure. And Mr. Beaver says, Aslan is a lion, the lion, the great lion. Oh, said Susan, I, I thought he was a man. I is he quite safe? She'll feel rather nervous about meeting a lion. Safe, said Mr. Beaver. Who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe, but he's good. He's the king, I tell you. Of course he isn't safe, but he's good. He's the king. And this is true of our God, who is loving, faithful, steadfast, good. As God continues, even as we turn away time and time again in his covenant faithfulness, in his love to call us home, to remind us of whose we are, and to show us who God has called us to be as his people. And the culmination, the most dramatic, stunning act of God's grace, act of God's faithfulness, act of God's love toward us when we time and time and time and time again fail to love God is seen in Christ. As God sends his son to take on our false loves, all of our turning from God, all of our disobedience, all of our, to pick up the analogy in the heart of Hosea, cheating with other gods, rather than loving the one in covenant relationship with us. All of that. God not only loves us in spite of, but sends Christ to forgive us of our sins. Sends Christ to bear the weight of that sin because God is not content to simply leave us in this. As Pam reminded us in the children's message last week, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But God is not content to leave us there. But ask the question, how can I give you up? How can I hand you over? And so God sends Christ into the world, God with us to take the burden for our sins, to die, to rise, and ascend for us and for our salvation. And then God calls us again of no merit, no worth, no deserving of our own to participate in that death and resurrection. Our movement from Egypt into the promised land by a lion roaring, and he may not be safe, but friends, he is good. And part of God's not being safe is that God calls us daily to die to ourselves and rise into new life in Christ. As by the Spirit we grow in Christ-likeness, as by the Spirit we are transformed more and more like Christ, more and more like the one who lived a life of faithfulness, more and more in union to Christ. Now, this does not make us perfect. It's impossible, this side of glory. But as with God's people throughout all of history, God continues to call us into relationship, to call us to be faithful as he is faithful. And God's love calls us into that faithfulness, not so that we can sin all the more so grace may abound, as Paul expounds on in Romans, but it's a call into grace, a call into faithfulness, a call as we, the church, the bride of Christ, God's chosen people, are called to faithfully respond to God's call on our life, to respond to God's love in love and to then turn and show that love and faithfulness to one another and to the church and to the world, faithfully and lovingly calling us into each other's faithfulness as God calls us, to show that love and faithfulness in community, in relationship, in the good, the bad, and the mundane of life, showing this love and call of faithfulness to each other through discipleship, 
Sunday school riot in so many ways as I have seen in this place and experienced time and time again, showing love to the world, as this community did tirelessly at the fair this week, showing God's love in the world, in ministry and mission, in relationship with the school, and in so many other ways I could name. So friends, hear the roar of the lion who is not necessarily safe but is unimaginably good. Answer the call of God's love and grace and faithfulness in love and faithfulness. Because God not only calls us to faithfulness to put off those idols and misdirected loves, but in that amazing grace, he also sustains us in that life of faithfulness. So that we, God's people, might in imperfect ways faithfully follow our covenant God. In the name of the Father, the Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.